from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 90. Today's show is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile and Pingdom. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by the wonderful Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. Good to be back. We are back. It's another Monday. We're, uh, mm-hmm. I think we're on the road to WWDC now. I feel that uh, kind of feeling constantly, thinking about San Francisco-related things. Last <laughs> week, my diary got jam-packed with events and such. We are on uh, the path now. Getting very close. We're very close now. Yep. Yep. So, it's exciting stuff, but there's a, there's a few things that I think we want to cover today, which are tangentially related to WWDC, yeah. and I think most of the news will be uh, leading up to our event in the middle of June. But first off, I just wanted to give a quick reflection on last week's episode, because we kind of uh, came to an end not too, uh, not too long after we let Lex go last week. I just right. wanted to mention, uh, I thought it was a really great discussion. I think Lex provided a useful and positive look at the other side of the argument that we've been posing for the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. He hasn't changed my mind about anything, but I know I <laughs> haven't changed his either. So um, I'm sure there will be more for us to say on this topic in the future. I think it's clearly something that people find interesting. Uh, but we're not going to flog a dead horse. Like, I don't have anything else to add. Nothing else has changed. Uh, but it's something going to keep in mind as a, as a point of discussion for the future. Right. I think Lex brought a, I think it was a good perspective to have. Um, I I don't feel like a lot of those conversations happen anywhere. And although this is not the ideal venue for those conversations, um, I'm glad that we could kind of like cannibalize a little bit of the time in order to get some of that discussion out there. Cause I think, I think it's really interesting. And I think that Lex, Lex's perspective is good because it's not just his perspective that he's relaying. It's the perspective of the people he is dealing with who are being interested in, in buying advertising and podcasts. And so he's got his perspective uh, as a sales guy, he's got his perspective as a creator of podcasts. And he's also aware of the perspective of the people um, with the money and what their desires are. And that's a, that's a really great combination of perspectives to have and and yeah we can we can disagree about about things but i feel like he brought a dose of sort of reality of like this is what it's like out there and some of it is philosophical and some of it is um it it doesn't make sense (laughs) Mm -hmm. but is the reality that you know not everything that happens not every bit of behavior is is uh is rational and uh, there's some irrationality going on in terms of the quest for some of these metrics too. So it was good to hear that. I thought that was a great his anecdote about people basically saying, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll have a pixel on your podcast to measure your listenership." It's like, wow, that's just amazing. So yeah. I was really glad to hear all of that. And yeah, I think we'll I think we'll cover it again. I wish uh, on one level I wish that there was a place for inside baseball podcast stuff to to live. On another level, I'm not sure I want to listen to the a podcast that's just about that. So. Um, <laughs> maybe revisiting it here every now and then is a is a better uh, a better idea while also being respectful of the fact that not everybody wants to hear about podcast inside baseball which is why we brought him on at the end and you know we're trying to make it <laughs> skippable for people who don't care so yep. but yeah i thought it was really good and i we got a lot of positive feedback about it from people who were you know i've ne- you know i've never heard that perspective before and it was good to hear it from lex and lex is a good communicator of what the issues are so let's go back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, yeah, iOS 9.3.2 yeah. came out, I believe, last week and was brought with right. it another upgrade issue. This is focused <laughs> around the 9, 9.3.2 uh, update on iPad Pro 9.7 
inch. So the smaller iPad yeah. Pro it is bricking them with the Error 56 issue that we've seen in the past. Um, Apple has actually pulled the update down. Uh, I have not updated my 9.7-inch <laughs> iPad. Luckily, the no. news started to come out about bricked <laughs> iPads just before I did it. My iPad is very upset and is asking me to upgrade, but I'm terrified uh, that I'm going to destroy my device uh, by doing this. I am continually perplexed at how this is still happening. Like this, It feels like every update now, there is some kind of issue where it's just bricking devices. It's becoming a trend, which is concerning. I mean, it's not every update, but it, it's happened a few times. and More often it, than it not, does... I think, in recent times, there have been some kind of issue with updates. Yeah, I feel like I, feel like I almost want to do, if only we had hyperlinks in podcasts, um, mm. don't get me started, uh, that, that we could li- literally do a boop <laughs> and drop in a conversation we had a few weeks ago. Because it's a very similar thing, which is hard to understand why this is happening. Is it the pace of software updates? Uh, is it a lack of uh, proper testing resources, time, people? Um, is it that Apple's user base is so large, although the 9.7-inch iPad Pro isn't a very large base, that they're not able to test things properly, and so things fall through the cracks? It's a little unclear, but you know, no software up- update should brick uh, uh, even you know a small percentage of a particular... Uh, product that's being sold currently especially i mean in terms of the hierarchy it's like it's not it's not that huge an install base it's a brand new product how did it not get checked and that that's i don't have any answers for that other than that it's uh something is wrong because it shouldn't be happening and we can have excuses and we can have explanations but in the end i don't think anyone would would disagree with the idea that apple shouldn't release software updates that make people hesitate to update because they 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 feel like there's a chance that it could completely disable their hardware but there have been enough of these stories now that uh, that's where we are and that's something that whoever's in charge of this aspect of software at apple has to has to fix they have to correct it because I don't know what to do now. Like the, <laughs> just, the no- <laughs> just put it in airplane mode and run away. <laughs> because uh, this is a story for another time, but the 9.7-inch iPad Pro is my favorite computing device now. And oh, yeah, we, we we should talk about that. We should. At some point, well, I'm, I'm, I'm formulating some thoughts on it. You had a, We should put a link in the show notes to that tweet that you... I think it was a tweet, or maybe it was just in the... We did a live thing on the talk show app um, for the, that's by you know Mike Sippy and Greg Noss and some other people, this app called Talk Show, and we embedded it on Six Colors, and you were in there, mm-hmm. and um, you took a picture of your setup, and it was sort of like an, a 5K iMac and two iPads was how you covered the Google I, I.O. keynote. The, 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 the big iPad Pro and the small iPad Pro were both being used by you for different tasks, which was kind of hilarious. So I do want to talk more about uh, why you love it. But uh, for now, you, you love it, but it can't be updated. It mustn't, yeah. be, mustn't be looked at because it could just turn into a brick overnight. That's the thing, because I, I love to use it so much, I'm now too scared to update it in case I then can't use it anymore. So I, when do I do it? Like, I have no idea when. My mom is frightened to update her iOS stuff now because of, I think, mostly because of iOS 7, where it was such a dramatic change, like the yeah. auto-update happens and suddenly the this, nothing looks the same and she doesn't quite know what everything is. And that one traumatic experience two-plus years ago has led her to basically not update her iOS devices. Because you don't know what's on the other side. 
You you don't. And she's not she's not tied into it, right? So she's like, "Well, Jason will tell me if it's okay." And that's how she does it. And it and it's it's not like she couldn't do it. And I'm not doing the old ploy of like, "Oh, moms just don't understand. They're they're proxies for people who don't understand about technology." No, this is like legitimately she learned a lesson from an Apple software update, which is never trust them again, which mm. is really bad. But it's like I I don't know, like I think since it was um it was one of the the releases that was like bad for everyone, right? Like it, it, it right. like if if you got it it kind of killed everything and they were able to pull it and i can't remember which one that was but since then if people people ask me oh should i update and i'm hesitant to give a definitive answer to people now <laughs> yeah i had the one i had the update uh, like a year before that i had the update that um that uh turned off the cellular radio on my yeah, iphone that's the one that was that was the, that was, the really bad one right that was a good one <laughs> so i don't know i feel like it's got to be a qa thing right yeah you feel like it's got to be found there Ultimately, mm-hmm. so I don't. I don't really know what's going on, and I think that's a good point. That it's um, whatever the reasons, right? There are probably reasons. The reasons might involve the way the software is being developed, the, the development pace, um, other issues, other things that they're trying to fix, and they're sliding in. You know, they're they're sliding in these fixes, and they lead to other problems. But it doesn't really matter, right? What the the, the net result is that whatever testing they're doing isn't finding these things and you should never get to the point where you're pulling yep. an update because it's killed uh killed a product for a lot of people and this is where like the one of the difficult lines of doing what we do is because i understand that there are people making these things i understand there's a lot of work that goes goes into it but on the other side of it i'm like i don't care you shouldn't be breaking my devices you know again that's where it's really hard to sit on the line that we sit on i think when thinking yeah, just about don't release stuff. it yeah, just don't release it. And if, and if you're if it's a if they're critical security fixes in along with this, then there's that question of like, did you just release critical security fixes or did you do other stuff? Because some fixes are critical and need to get pushed out. Other things are bug fixes and they can wait for testing to see if there are any side effects. And I I'm just I'm not convinced that that the stuff that was in here was all critical, right? I mean, I, I think that's I think that's a good question to ask is just don't release it. If you if you haven't tested it, don't release it. Just wait. And I get the pressure and I get that there's probably pressure for iOS developers inside Apple to be working on, you know, pushing for whatever they're going to show and uh, release to developers at WWDC in a few weeks. And that probably makes it an incredibly chaotic time to release an update. But that comes back to, okay, what's in 9.3.2? What could, what absolutely had to get out immediately and what didn't? And did did you really make the right decision? Obviously not, I guess. But did you really make the right decision in terms of what went in and what went out? Because if you can't test it, then don't release it. This wasn't the only release that Apple had this week. Um, they also released their new Apple Store design and the theory that goes into <laughs> a lot of it. This isn't the first redesigned Apple Store. It's the first one that's really kind of encompassing all of the new ideas. Uh, the Memphis Store was... It has a lot of these elements, and I remember uh, Stephen went and took a look at, at those when they reopened it because it was just done recently. Um, the Selfridges pop-up store that sells Apple Watches has a lot of like the foliage and stuff like that in it. But this uh, new store in Union Square, which has been in construction for, I think, for as long as I have been going to WWDC, I feel like there's always yeah. been something happening uh, to with this Apple store. So this is the new space, though. This is this is a completely they shut down the old space and uh-huh. they're in a brand new space that's right on Union Square. So it's a it's a larger space. Right. Okay. 
they that they because they built when they opened that like i don't know what 10 years ago right next to the bart station that um that was a that was a big deal but this is a different completely different space it's not just a remade um you know remade store layout it's a it's a brand new building basically brand new location so i've included a couple links in the show notes uh one to uh, an article at the loop which has a lot of the kind of apple's thinking in it in text uh, but also I've uh, put in a link to The Verge, which I suggest everybody goes to look at because it has tons of fantastic photography, which really shows off a lot of what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. And this was very interesting. This this uh, event, Angela Ahrens and Johnny Ive were there, I believe, um, either presenting and then the next day kind of with the opening of the store to the public. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of encompasses some new thinking that Apple has around the way that their retail spaces are going to work. And they kind of have three or four new big things that are happening here. So the Genius Bar has been renamed to Genius Grove. Um, <laughs> and that's where you find the foliage that will be in the stores in these beautiful planters. Um, these like white and wood planters or they're like cushions. I think, no, no, wood, they're like leather. Um, they're very good looking. Uh, and it's Genius Grove is going to take some time to settle in for me because it sounds strange, but I think it just sounds strange because I'm used to Genius Bar. Uh, but that's one thing. They have something called the Avenue. The Avenue, this is all very like high concept thinking, but the Avenue yeah. is like a, a, a row of their products that changes by season effectively. Like that's where they put all their headphones and all the stuff like that and they change them around. Then they have something called the Forum, which is this massive 6K screen. They have one of these in the Memphis store as well. I think they're going to bring all of them. Mm -hmm. They're very, very expensive, it looks like, which will feature something that Apple is calling Today at Apple, which uh, demonstrates the community creators and app developers and musicians. It kind of highlights them and focuses on them. It's things that Apple care about. And then this store and some of the other key stores that Apple owns will be getting something called the Plaza, which is a 24-hour public space which features Wi-Fi, free public Wi-Fi, and has the Today at Apple thing taken outside with like performances and stuff from the people that mm. are on the screens. So this is a, I think, kind of natural evolution for the Apple Store. Uh, it is focusing a lot more on the overall thinking of an Apple product, right? There's a, a lot more focus on accessories. There's a lot more focus on open space. The actual store itself from the outside looks like an Apple product. It has the new mirrored uh, Apple logo that they're using mm-hmm. on their products. And this one is just like all glass at the front. It's a beautiful store. And I think it's... You know they're moving it forward, and there's a few stores that are under construction. The Regent Street store, which is one of the key stores in London, is currently uh, majorly closed. They have a you have to go to the basement where they have all the products crammed in now, uh, and <laughs> they're going to be reopening that store at some point, and it will feature all of this stuff in it. And I expect that one will be spectacular because it's such a huge space. So yeah, that's the new Apple store. I'm looking forward to to go and to check it out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing it. Uh, it, it. It's you get the sense that this is Angela Arendt's, uh big initiative, right? It like feels she like some, something with her and I have together, right? Working I've, on this, I've designs, right? I mean, because all the tables and stuff, right? Those are all like Johnny Ive conceptual conceptual stuff that they've had. So it's 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 more stuff from him, but then from for Angela Arendt, it, it just seems like she did a lot of putting out of fires when she came back. But th- this was her sort of long term. How do we? 
kind of re-envision the modules that we use in the various yeah. stores. And every store is different and every store is going to have a different mixture because this is, you know, this is not a virtual world. This is reality. And they've got to, they've got to build these things and deal with building codes and deal with employees and figure out, you know, what, if you have a 24 hour space, how do you handle security? And there's a lot of practical considerations, but she wanted, uh, I think a, a set of new tools and to just refresh some of the concepts because some of the concepts in the, it's hard to think about it, but the Apple stores have been around a long time now. Yep. And a lot of them, are not that different they they have had definitely they've had updates as they've gone and they've made changes uh a lot of them like the union square store the old union square store used to have a big theater and they you know then they de-emphasized that the whole idea of having a theater in the back of the store and uh the genius bars in a lot of places sort of vanished and it was just sort of an area where people might come and help you and uh so this is uh this is kind of defining how they want to how they want to use these pieces going forward it'll be interesting to see my local store which is a mall store um it changed from uh it moved locations to a to a somewhat bigger space still in still in a mall it's california so it's outside but it's still a shopping mall and um I was struck by that because it, it definitely shows some changes in their approach from from before, um, including a huge video wall at the back of the store. Yeah, the um, video wall is a new yeah. key thing. That I think they're putting in most of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was I was I I was struck by how it felt different, and then they had a they had a bunch of also some ergonomic stuff, like they had a bunch of benches and stuff at the back because I think they're aware that you know in reality people are coming in asking for a, their genius appointment and having to sit and wait for five or ten minutes while they go back in the back and get a new iPhone or whatever it is, and uh, and so I think that's interesting too of showing like I chalk that one up to Angela Aaron's as well of like why why are people milling around here waiting? We should give them a place to sit and. You know, we should we should handle this all better. So uh, it's interesting to see her take on it. We'll see how this yeah. rolls out to everybody. I mean, not everybody is near a, a flagship store. So what elements of this go into the shopping malls around the around the world and, and things like that? Yeah, because the trees, whilst you can maybe think that trees are strange, I'd say they're actually seats, right? So like, uh, yeah, when, when when was the last time you had somewhere you could sit in an Apple store? It doesn't happen. So yeah, you're completely right. She's, she has a brand new vision for it, which I like. There's a quote from the Verge article. I just find this interesting. She says, uh, Angela says, this is more than just a store. We want people to say, hey, meet me at Apple. They're trying to turn it into a thing. And yeah. whilst that is a bit of a, I think a slightly ludicrous statement, I get what she's trying to, to say. Because <laughs> right, no one's ever going to say that, right? You know. Well, I think, okay, so on one level, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, sure, right? Like every company says, oh, we think that our corporate uh, structure is going to be part of everybody's, they will incorporate it into their lifestyles and it will be, you know, happy corporate uh, lifestyle people will will go there to live their lifestyles. And I roll my eyes and I'm like, yeah, okay, dream on corporate people. People are going to live their lives. They're not going to just attach to their brands. That said... If anyone can do well, it. this is Apple. <laughs> and, and well, and two, I'm not sure this isn't more a reaction to the fact that this is already true, right? Like a lot of these places, 
um, this already happens. People go into the Apple stores. There's they, they there's uh, the, their computers right that they use there. Um, it, it just I don't know. I, I think that there there's some truth behind that already about how people use Apple stores, and so maybe they're just kind of going with it and saying, "All right, we could do that. Let's try that. Why not?" I mean, in New York, I think the New York store has always been open twenty four seven, and yeah. people go in there the the Fifth Avenue store, and people go in there and use the computers and stuff like that. So. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm of two minds about that. Which is one, it seems kind of ridiculous, um, and and on another level, I'm I'm not sure that people don't already do that with Apple stores. So maybe it's smart to to uh, you know turn into the spin and be like, yep, okay, got it. We're gonna be that. Then let's just do it instead of sort of having it happen in the background. I am happy that you know that Angela Aaron's is there and she's speaking about it, and it shows that she has some kind of vision over this. I think that. I think overall into the future, we're going to look back on her as being a, a nice positive kind of change mm. for Apple because the they, stores they definitely look more uh, high concept and luxury now than they did before. And I think that was why they brought her in, right? That's that's the world she came from. True, true with Burberry. Um, and they, they needed they needed change. Bottom line, like even if they're doing incredibly well, the fact is it was an, it was getting to be an old concept, yep. and you do need to always question and refresh. And you know, the at the Apple Store was a bunch of variations on Ron Johnson and Steve Jobs' original concept. Yeah, and um, and now it's uh, you know. It's it's dumb to say things like this, but here I am saying it. It's kind of Apple Store 2.0 yep. in 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 just just in the sense that it, it it seems like this is a new person coming in and saying let's reconceive this. Let's let's uh let's go back to basics and ask ourselves a bunch of questions about what we should be doing instead of just iterating on what's already there. And I do get the sense of that a little bit, which is good because even the best idea gets old and stale. You bet. All right, let's take a break and thank our friends over at Pingdom for sponsoring this week's episode. You can start monitoring your own websites and servers today by going to pingdom.com slash upgrade. When you go there, you will find yourself with a lovely 14-day free trial. And then when you use the offer code upgrade at checkout, you will get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everybody who has a website. They do this by offering fantastic tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, you'll be able to monitor the availability and performance of your server, database, or website so easily. They make it so simple, and they make sure that you stay up and stay protected. Pingdom takes care of this with more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. So they are making sure that your site is staying up and they're checking that people all over the world will be able to access it. But one of the things these days which makes monitoring your website a little bit different is it's not just about, oh, okay, does the page load. There are also tons of little elements within your site that if they go down could be a problem. Contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, login functionality, search functionality. Pingdom can monitor all of these things individually. So you'll know if the key interactions of your site go down. I mean, if your site's up and you're a store, but your checkout function's down, well, there's kind of no point in the site being up, right? It's not just about the whole website anymore. Pingdom take care of all of it. Stuff on the internet breaks all the time. Pingdom detect around 13 million outages a month. That is more than 400,000 outages every single 
day. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, it's super important to monitor the availability and performance of your website. All Pingdom needs is the URL you wish to monitor and they'll take care of the rest. When they detect an outage, you'll be immediately alerted so you can fix that error before downtime affects you. Don't be caught out when someone's trying to access your site Get Pingdom. Check it out today and you'll be the first to know when your site has a problem. Go to pingdom.com slash upgrade for a 14-day free trial and use the code upgrade at checkout to get 20% off. Thank you so much to Pingdom to their support of this show. All right, Mr. Snell. Google I.O. Yes, sir. happened last week. What do you think? Yes, sir. Uh, we talked about it on Clockwise last week. I recommend people check that out, and you can look at Six Colors for our like live blog that we did of it, uh, none of us being there. Um, <laughs> which, you're in there, and Dan's in there, and we had a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, Casey Liss is in there for a little bit. He was next to a, a bunch of the Android developers he works for, which was kind of fun, or works with, which is funny. Um, I wanted to mention it only because, uh, um... First off, they, they announced a couple of things that I think are, are fascinating, and, and I, I get really tired of the whole one-upsmanship thing where uh, Apple announces a feature. You know it. Everybody knows it. Apple announces a feature that Android's had for a while, and the Android people are like, oh, yeah, congratulations, Apple. You got that new feature that we've had for two years. <laughs> and um, I just don't get it. That uh, the Isn't that a validation? that that you had a successful feature or product and that they need to have it now because that's how competition works. I think it's dumb. But um, what I'm saying is Allo is iMessage and Duo is FaceTime. And good for Google, right? I'm not I'm not entirely sure I like the idea of Allo only because I feel like what it's really trying to do is kill the momentum, and I don't think it will, <laughs> but kill the momentum of, of things like WhatsApp. Um, that Google kind of wants to be the platform owner and own all of those things. And there are also the issues like they've got this incognito thing, which is actually not quite incognito. It's just secure. And it's a mode you can go into, but by default, your texts are not encrypted end-to-end, which means it's less secure than a lot of these other services that encrypt everything. So, But still, I, I appreciate it from the sense of Google saying, look, we need to do better on messaging, that we had Google Talk, and uh, they've got Google Hangouts, and and you know they've got a whole bunch of different things, but they, they need to do better. So Allo seems to be their take on WhatsApp, and then Duo is, it, it's like quite literally FaceTime. It's keyed off of phone numbers, it's one-to-one video chat. Uh, they've got a feature that they spent way too much time on, which is that when somebody calls you, you can see them before you pick up, um, which is, it, it struck me as being a minor feature, but it was the only thing that was different than FaceTime, so they overemphasized it. But, um, you know, should Android phones have FaceTime? Plus, it's going to be available on iOS, so shouldn't you be able to make a call, to, a FaceTime call to an Android phone, a friend who's got an Android phone? Well, now you'll be able to do that. You just have to use Duo instead of FaceTime. And I do, I do wonder, since they made a big point also of saying this is all based on you know, public technologies. This is not proprietary in any way. I, I, I'm going to hold out a little bit of hope that maybe down the road, FaceTime is interoperable with it. Because I think Apple's initial concept of FaceTime was that it would be using public stuff and interoperable with other things. And and for, you know, somewhat hazy reasons, it never happened. And I don't think people like to make fun of Apple for that. I think Apple was, was you know, legitimately intending for it to be that. And then something like legally happened probably patent and royalty related that made them go oh we can't do that they could have built and could still have built a facetime app for android though 
They could, they could, but um, you know, they 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 don't want to do that apparently. Although maybe they should, but uh, failing that, I mean, why not just make it interoperable? If everybody can use email addresses and phone numbers uh, to video call each other and have it all be interoperable, wouldn't that be nice? Um, and sure. does that really need to be some sort of a, a wedge feature between platforms? Google doesn't care, and that's Google's game. Google's going to run it on iOS and Android. Apple only is doing you know their stuff on iOS right now. So you know, one way or another, I think. I think if you're Apple, would you not rather have FaceTime be compatible with other things rather than have everybody getting Google's app and using it instead because they can talk to everybody in their family with that? I don't know. But but again, I'm not going to gloat and be like, oh, good job, Google. You finally ma- invented FaceTime because uh, FaceTime's a great feature and Android phones should have it and it should be uh, from the platform vendor because uh, more people will use it when it's more deeply integrated into the operating system. So, yeah. Um, you know, so good for them for doing it. I'm not going to mock them for it. Um, I, I, if I mock them for anything, it's going to be, I'm not sure I like the platform vendor coming in and trying to squash the successful chat apps that are on its platform. But, you know, I'm not surprised. Well, it's going to be a choice, though, I reckon. I don't think Allo and Duo will be installed. I think they'll need to be downloaded from the Play Store. So, you know, they're, they're not, like, destroying... <laughs> For now, I like do it. Why, why would you not put that in Android eventually? Why would you not just put it in there? Because of the European Union. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> that's why. Maybe, maybe it'll just be in. We'll get it here in the U.S. And you'll just yeah. have to. Uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll have to download it. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll prompt you. Would you like to download Duo? Um, in general, though, I thought this was a really good I/O keynote. Um, I did too. It it, you know. Google keynotes have been really bad. <laughs> they they have been. It, it felt like um, I, I, in the talk show thread that we had, I, I was saying how I thought um, past Google keynotes were kind of like uh, like Soviet Communist Party meetings, where like every oblast must be heard from. Like every every fiefdom inside of Google had to be. Uh, had to make an appearance it was and it was so obvious it was like we there, there were io keynotes where where people would come up and they literally had nothing to show that was new um and they're, they're, let's do a recap of what we did a while ago and i i it was just very clear that there was a lot of pride and political whatever in being on stage at a keynote and that these people wanted to be there even if they had nothing to say and that shows a you know tremendous lack of discipline in whoever is supposed to put the event together. The leaders should be like, no, you don't get in if you don't have anything to say. This isn't what we're trying to do here. This one felt like the the right thing, which is they they their message was clear. They prioritized. They were um, they were pretty snappy, and they left a lot of the the like really esoteric developer stuff for the end and that's when it started to drag but again if you're going to make those decisions and you're you know this is how you do it is you have the stuff that's got the broad appeal up front and then as the, as you get into your, your your second hour then you know you're losing people and that's the the developers are all still there so you just you keep going with the developer stuff but I just I, I was struck by that 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 Google's keynotes have generally not been disciplined at all and this one was really on point I was impressed. Yeah, I agree. Um, should we talk about Siri? Sure, sure. Uh, what, what what else would be appropriate for Siri? What better than talking about Siri? Good work. Uh, there was a rumor on <laughs> Mac Rumors this week uh, that Siri is coming to OS X. 
and they had yeah they had screenshots and stuff some, some screenshots they had a screenshot of a dock icon and a screenshot of a menu bar icon menu bar icon that says Siri it's ugly <laughs> as all hell I don't know yeah, why it's probably a, let's hope it's a placeholder yeah I, I feel like they have a super cool looking dock icon but an ugly as all hell menu bar icon yeah <laughs> like, I don't it's get just it. the word Siri in a box which yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why you would need a menu bar icon unless you're entering text into it or something, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, all sorts of things have menu bar items, uh, icons that don't make any sense. So Very why should this point. be anything different? Very good point. Uh, Max will seem, uh, from this Mac Rumors article, Max will get the Ahoy telephone feature, it would appear. Yeah, it, it seems like. Um, although I think Mac Rumors said that it would be in the current the current thinking is that it would be off by default and you would need to turn it on yep. um although that can that can change um because we're talking about a product that wouldn't ship until the fall right uh, next version of OS 10 well it's always off by default right i mean that, that's the thing. you 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 enable it during setup of an iphone so i guess it would be the same yeah i guess that's the question is would they would would your mac get in your way when you reboot it after an update and say all right i need to ask you about a hoy telephone or not probably it would yeah i reckon it would i reckon it would yeah. it runs you through the setup process again and and enables that sort of stuff uh, like when i uh Whenever I update my iPad, it asks me if I want to, in, to enable it because I don't have uh, a Huawei telephone on my iPad, so I think mm. it's pointless. Um, but it asks me every time I update if I yes. want to if yep. I want to set up Siri. Like I actually on one of them, I don't even have Siri enabled because I just never use it. Like I just said no because yeah. like, I never use point? it on my iPad, and I too often accidentally trigger it by pressing yeah. the button too long. So you know, so I just want it to go away. <laughs> yep. Um, I wanted to ask you. Now, if we just could box this part into considering Siri's current feature set, right? Why would you want Siri on OS X? <laughs> when when it's very likely, I think that you would have an iOS device close mm. enough. I think I don't think there are many people these days that are like that would not have an iOS device close enough to them when they're using a Mac that they could use it. There are some. Not every Mac user is an iOS user, um, and you could argue that you know so you don't. Everybody's got different contexts of how they work. So why not provide it everywhere? And then you've got it. You know, whenever you're near anything, you've got it ready so, to go right there. I guess you'd you. Not everybody has their phone on their person at all times when they're sitting at their computer. Let's okay. say. But to do what though? All right, like if, we, <laughs> if yeah. you assume you have that, si- that Siri is only available on your Mac. What are you doing with it? Like, uh, you know, setting a timer? Like, it, it's 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 a little bit like um, they brought a lot of iOS features kind of halfway to the Mac, like the like the notification center stuff, where there's like the weather widget that doesn't really go any. There's no app; it just sort of lives in there. Or find my friends; it's just sort of in the notification center. And uh, and, and this strikes me as being maybe potentially like that, where it's sort of not really that integrated. I hope it is. I, I, I would imagine like the people who work on automation at at Apple would be beside themselves to have access to this. It's not like there have, hasn't been uh, triggerable voice control on the Mac before. In fact, there's triggerable voice control on the Mac now. Um, but it's not Siri. It's not branded that way. So it might be interesting to see if they roll all that stuff in. So you end up with um, the ability to to run scripts and things, and uh, which would give you a lot of power to to write your own kind of wire together app control and stuff like that. That might be kind of kind of fun. Um, 
but I don't know. I mean, a, 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 what Siri really is is its data sources, right? So I guess the idea here is that you should be able to, to you know, without doing anything else on your Mac, say I want to, I want to have a, you know, I want to have a timer, or can you open this app, or or whatever. I, I'm uh, I'm not sure. I, I do have a hard time picturing it. it. It feels more like it would be useful in terms of consistency than in terms of like being a huge productivity tool. So how would you use it? I don't I don't think I would. I I can't think of any use case for me given <laughs> as I say given its current feature set, I can't think of any reason why I would want Siri on my Mac. Like I use it for so few things on my iOS devices. And a Mac is an engaged interface, right? I mean, that's the thing about the Mac is that it's not true for every user, right? I, I could see that there for for people who've got um, mobility issues, any anybody who has accessibility uh, concerns, uh, mm-hmm. having more voice control on their Mac might be good. Although I, I, I have a hard time imagining that, that Siri for Mac would be enough to be really satisfactory, but maybe... Um, but uh, it's just it's such an engaged user interface. It it, it is uh, something that your you know your hands are on the keyboard and your your fingers are on the the trackpad or the mouse. And you know I, I have a hard time seeing why suddenly also talking to the computer is something you you would that you you would find particularly helpful. You know, in a, it, because I mean Siri in some ways is a solution to problems that exist on touchscreen devices that are maybe not necessary on a device where you've got that keyboard and mouse right in front of you. Yep. So let's break this conversation open a little bit to take okay. it to the, the place that people are screaming at us about. Let's look at what Siri could be. Right? <laughs> and think about it that way. So do you think that having Siri on OS ten after all of or Mac OS, as I and you expect it to be called yes mac os 1 <laughs> mac os 11 <laughs> spinal tap will make an appearance at wwdc for mac os 11 turning it all the way up mm-hmm. do you think that finally having siri on os 10 signals a potential change for siri do you think that that we're going to see something at wwdc that will push siri further than what we currently have that wouldn't it wouldn't that be nice it would make sense if they're going to do it because they haven't done it yet yeah, it's so it's so frustrating. Like it needs to be better. It needs to be better in so many different dimensions. It needs to be apps need more access to it. And uh, you know, on the Mac especially, you it will be frustrating if there's no way to access other stuff because the Mac has so much other stuff. Um, but even on iOS, the the ability to do that, more data sources, more intelligence. Um, there's so much. You know, there's so much. We've seen the demos of other uh, assistant technology lately, and there's a difference between a cooked-up demo and something that's shipping in uh, tens of millions of phones. That's absolutely true. But, um, you know, Google is planning on having their assistant be, uh, you know, be coming out soon, <laughs> right, with with a lot more sophistication than than Google Now maybe currently has. And that's the that's the bar being set, right? And, and Siri has been, um, I would say, a letdown, because I, I feel like it, it, it is progressing very slowly from its initial release. Yeah. And uh, some of that is is the Uncanny Valley thing, which is when I talk to a robot, I expect it to, I expect it to behave like a human, and it doesn't because it's a robot. It's a, it's a just a dumb piece of software. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's any less frustrating to have it not 
be able to converse with me and understand more of what I'm trying to to get out of it. So one thing that I would like quite a lot, and this was something that Google was showing off, was text entry for their assistant. I would like to be able to text Siri. I think that that would be helpful in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a very clever idea. I've thought about that every now and then too. Something that I use quite frequently more recently, which is great, is you can enter some stuff, right? You can in the search box and it's like you're kind of texting right. with Siri. So like for example, I wanted to do some currency conversion and I thought, I wonder if Siri will do this. And it will. Like if I type in one thousand USD, it shows me the GBP. Like the pound sterling. Mm. It shows me the amount, right? It just it knows what I'm looking for. Or if I type in uh, 25C, it knows I'm looking for temperature, so it shows me Fahrenheit. Like, right. that's the stuff that I want it to do, and I want to be able to just really talk to it. I want to be able to plain text entry, like, pull down from the uh, my, my phone, so I bring up the search box, and just say, book an appointment with Jason at 4 o'clock tomorrow. Like I do for Fantastic Al, but just to have it everywhere would be fantastic, right? Or just, or just type it in and say, like, what do I have next? Like things like that that I don't have to talk because I don't always want to talk to these things because I feel silly. I think most people just feel silly talking to yeah. it when it doesn't understand you. And part of the reasons it doesn't understand you sometimes it doesn't get the words. I'm more likely to get the words correctly if I can type it to the the, the assistant, right? Because I can see immediately what it's understanding. It's true. Although that's that goes back to being like uh, on ATP a couple weeks ago. John Syracuse has said that it's like a command line, and he's exactly right. Like yeah. you have to phrase things a certain way with with the Echo or with Siri in order to get it it to be exactly what you want. And the goal is that it should be more conversational. And it should be able to pick up on your cues, and it should be able to figure it out. And what you're advocating is sort of like, yes, it is a command line. Let me type it, <laughs> which yeah. I also see. I totally see. But I think the bigger problem is that not only are there all sorts of data that it doesn't understand but um that you just you can't you can't have it do complex tasks nor can you train it to do those complex tasks if it doesn't know so you said you know book a meeting with jason for four o'clock that that's something that really needs to happen uh at a high level where it's okay do you mean jason snell yeah i do um all right and, and what what's this meeting about do you want to tell me what this meeting's about and you tell them and then they send an email or a, a calendar invitation to me because i'm in your address book saying here's what this meeting is about and that when i uh, uh, reply that it sends you a message or tells you jason's uh, uh, accepted that meeting right it needs to be like that high level and right now it's right now it's not right now you have to say things in a very specific way if it's something that it can do in generally in one shot for it to do it, which is not uh, not great. One of the big things that I found very impressive from what Google was showing, and it's stuff that they have now in some instances, is context. So understanding the context of the questions that you're asking, but also understanding the context of you as a person. So, you know, they showed this often and I was playing around with this unconnected and we did it with, the, with my Google device. You ask a question, then you ask the Google Assistant another question and it knows that that second question was related to the first one. Right. And there are a couple places where I think Siri does that, but it's few and far between. But part of the problem with Siri, though, with these types of things is the inconsistency, is that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. 
And, and it gets back to the command line thing where you're essentially like you have to have a very prescribed way of uh, of talking to it and and know the context and it becomes its own like little language. And yeah. that's not how this is supposed to work. I, I mentioned uh, uh, Mrs. Soup in the chat room just talked about the car a little bit. And nothing frustrates me about Siri more than more than being in the car because I feel like I, I want and, and it ha- there are in car features, but I want a much more intelligent active assistant when I'm driving. Like I, when I get a text in the car, I would really like at least the option of having Siri say that te- you just got a text from so-and-so. Would you like me to read it? Uh, and, and, and be able, and it just, it doesn't do that. It just doesn't. I mean, I think I can say ahoy telephone, read me my texts or something like that. But again, I'm, I'm not being assisted then. I have to be the the driver of it. And I'm not exactly sure what I need to say because there's probably a very specific way to say it. And I have no doubt somebody out there is listening and being like, oh, sure, you can do that. Here's exactly what you have to say. It's like Siri power users are a thing and bless them. But the bigger point is nobody should be a Siri power user. Nobody should have to be yeah. because it should be able to figure this stuff out. And and having having an intelligent agent who can tell me what's happening on my phone while I'm driving I would love that. I would love to be able to. I was driving to. I spoke at the Mac Nexus, the Sacramento Mac user group, uh, last week, and Sacramento is an hour and a half or so from here. And uh, so I had a. I, I was in the car for a long time, and I was listening to podcasts, and I listened to some music, and I was thinking on that drive. This is the kind of thing where I'm in a bubble for a, you know hour and a half, two hours, sitting in traffic driving to Sacramento, where I can't look at my phone, and it's just me in the car, and. At several points, I really wanted to say, ahoy, telephone, what are the latest posts? What's going on in Slack? Uh, Ahoy, telephone, what's going on on Twitter? Um, Ahoy, telephone, do I have any new text messages? Uh, Which, like I said, I think think that one it will do. but uh, you know, it it it's just I want it to be better. I want yep. it to understand context. I want it to read into other apps. I want it to do better summaries of what's going on, and then let me dive deep if I want to. And I have no doubt we'll get there. But with with Siri, I feel like the progress is so slow that we might as well never get there. And then when Google demos something like Google Assistant, and yeah, it's a tech demo. I get it. It's the best possible look for that tech and when it comes to in reality it will not be as good but still you get the the nagging suspicion that google is really putting a lot of thought into this and apple uh you know i'm sure they're trying but i don't see a lot of momentum with the uh, with siri improvements so i think part of this problem is around data collection uh leading apple blogger marco Arment wrote a uh, good post about this that i oh. tend to, to agree with over the weekend um Kind of comparing, and it's it's you know it's it's kind of a thing you have to just go along with, and I think he makes a very good point. But when you try and break it down simply, it doesn't sounds a bit outlandish. That kind of comparing Apple to BlackBerry, in so much as BlackBerry did not see coming the smartphone, and then when it happened, they couldn't compete with it. And I think that this is a great analogy for data. What is happening with data right now? Because as Marco puts, if Google and Amazon and companies like that are right about the collecting data to make their assistant products better. Apple kind of culturally doesn't and won't do this. And this could come back to bite them. If if AI and like assistants are going to be the next big thing for our devices, I really don't think that 
unless they've got some kind of magical technology, Apple can do this without <laughs> changing some of their core beliefs about the data that they collect about us all individually. Yeah, I, I think it can be overstated a little bit. I think there's a lot that Apple can do, but uh, but I do think the larger question is is perfectly valid, which is, you know, companies with wild successes don't um, don't fall because suddenly the wild success is hated and goes away. It, it happens because some other thing becomes important than the thing that they're good at and that they they have control over and that they can't adjust. And so that's the fear I think that com- comes through about like well what's going to what's Apple's future is does Apple really get this stuff? And um and again, who knows? Maybe there are some amazing tech uh people inside Apple who are building voice and assistant technology that is going to be great and it might not even be great this year but they're working on it and they're waiting for their their right moment maybe so we can't see them we don't know Um, all we've got is the evidence and the evidence is that uh siri was an interesting idea in beta with the iphone 4s right and it's come some distance but not really if you had asked me what i envisioned siri of being capable of in 2016 when it launched i would be grotesquely crushingly just spectacularly disappointed with what the reality is. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just it. And some of that is optimism and some of that is not fair because it's like, well, I dream that it'll be this thing. But I think even a fair appraisal would say it, it doesn't seem like it's gone very far. And does it require quantum leap? I mean, the people at SRI who left to found this new company, they feel like they, you know, they just basically need to do another agent that it was time for a completely different take on it google's got a lot of people doing machine learning and all this stuff because that's google that's what they do and that's the that's the thought here is like if apple's really good at making polished objects integrated with software that runs on them what happens to apple when the most important feature is the uh, super intelligent brain that lives in the cloud and can help you with everything that you want to do can apple do that because right now the evidence is that that's not a thing that apple's good at proactive siri was introduced at last year's wwdc As yeah. a kind of a step into this, you know, because companies were starting to move that way. You know, Google has a lot more of this smarts built into it. And if I didn't know that this feature existed because they told me, I would never know that anything was happening because it doesn't feel like it's being smart in any way. I think the only thing that I've ever gotten any use out of is in Spotlight when it seems to predict what applications I'm going to be using. Yeah, that's yeah. great. But outside of that, that's not incredibly smart, right? Like, you're not really blowing my mind with that functionality. Um, did I download something recently? Yes, no. Did I just open an application and close it? Yeah, maybe put it in there. I Or, or like, it, does Mike seem to do open this application at 12 o'clock on a Monday morning? Yeah, he does. Like, that's cool, but I'm not really getting a massive amount from that. And... I'm really feeling like, and I am very much hoping that I'll be surprised, that at WWDC we're not going to see anything that is going to be able to compete in this realm. Whether Apple will be able to at some point in the future, I am kind of unconvinced that they will be able to do it right now. And I think that might end up being a problem for them. You know, a lot of these things we can kind of sit in our little world and take a look at what we think the next trends are going to be. But ultimately, one of them will break out. And Mm -hmm. this could be the next one that breaks out. And it feels like 
Apple were not going to be ready for it. Right, and we don't we don't know for sure. It's just this feeling like, well, if they had if they had this game down, then we would see it in Siri more than what we've seen in Siri, like that 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 simple. And uh, you know, I I am prepared to be surprised. I do wonder sometimes if this is just one of those areas where Apple's strategy is um, is acquisition is what they what they say on the analyst call analyst call is M and A strategy, which is they they'll buy it when they think they need it but can you imagine that like we'll buy another siri company and and integrate it and make a new siri i'm not sure i'm not sure i get i get that sometimes that's what you need to do but um you know google it's a it's a part of google's core being doing this sort of thing in a way that it isn't for Apple. And I don't know how you get it to be part of the core for Apple. Google have been collecting data about us before they even know that they needed to create an intelligent right. assistant, right? That, you know, but I think, I gotta say, I, I think that Google's collecting of data is, uh, as an advantage, is overstated a little bit. That uh, Google, you know, th- there are ways for Apple there are ways for Apple to do a lot of that. Apple can collect data on the devices. Apple could encrypt data based on your Apple ID and share it among your devices. Now, the devices might need to do some of the intelligent processing. It's possible if Apple really doesn't want to ever see any of that data for you, or Apple could come up with a strategy where there's some of that data that Apple holds on to. But you know that although that can give google a leg up i don't think that's the adv- the biggest advantage i think the biggest advantage is that google has cloud services as a real core part of what they are that having intelligence in the cloud and doing machine learning cuz like personalization is harder without personalized data but you can still have data and machine learning and and uh and make the products better and i'm just not convinced that apple as it's been structured it goes back to that um ben thompson article about the the the, the about paint and gunpowder that apple is a apple is a polished hardware company with integrated software and then the services stuff has sort of been floating around and they've made some steps to maybe realign how they do that but um so maybe they're headed in a good direction i don't know but um but that's still the open question is if that becomes the most important thing the single most important thing in uh, being a platform vendor for for a smartphone, then um, Apple's going to have a challenge. Because right now, Apple is getting by with middling services because their hardware and the software on the device is good. But at some point, it won't matter. And that's, that, and that's the BlackBerry analogy that Marco made, and I think, I think it's right, which is at some point, all the things you're good at won't be the things that you need to succeed. And what happens then? What happens is you're either we're ready right for the change or you miss it and this is facebook as well like facebook are a recent example of this and this is something that Mm -hmm. zuckerberg has spoken about quite openly and i bring this up a lot because i i really love the candidness of of a statement like this which was when they bought oculus zuckerberg basically said we missed mobile we were late i won't let it happen again and it's like I love that, right? Like, we're just going to take an, a, a bet on VR because we think that that's going to be the next big thing. We didn't take the right bet on mobile and we were behind where we should have been. I think that is a great attitude to have. Yeah, it, it's... Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's hard because you make forecasts about what is going to be important, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're right. <laughs> um, it's also interesting because Google... Google 
wants to be everywhere, right? And, mm-hmm. and iOS is an incredibly valuable platform. So one of one of the advantages in some ways of being, especially if you're an iOS user, is that you can use Google stuff and it will work. It won't work as well because it's not as integrated into the platform, but it will work. So um, iOS users will be able to try all this stuff out. But in the long run, um, it, it a lot of the, the stuff just needs to be in the in the platform. It needs to be integrated deeply, and uh, especially if the platform is so locked down like iOS is. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is this is the. I hope, and Apple's pride will never let them talk about this stuff publicly, right? But I hope that in the background, Apple is well aware that one of their greatest sort of existential uh, threats is their lack of good, um, you know, cloud services and investment in things like this assistant technology. I hope that they know that Siri has kind of been a disappointment and that they need to do a lot better with it. And not that they figure they can just sort of like, it's fine. It's not that important. We'll just keep patching over it, which is sort of what it feels like has been happening with it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but, um, but you make a good point with Facebook. Remember how Facebook was just totally missed, (laughs) missed, uh, mobile. They just totally like, whoop, just, and by the way, Instagram still doesn't work on the iPad except in iPhone mode. So I can't they're not all the they're not all the way there yet. I just I can't understand that. I will never understand yeah. that. Just yeah. If don't if you don't want me to take photos on my iPad and post them to Instagram, that's fine. Give me just an app where I can view them. Especially after they pulled yep. the API function for people for apps that were doing that. There were third party apps that you could look at Instagram photos on, and now they're gone. It's like, what are you doing? <sighs> this week's episode is brought to you by Smile and the new text expander, which is simply indispensable. Imagine for a moment, dear listener, you having the ability to never need to type the same email address, chunk of code, slogan, marketing copy, directions, or any kind of data more than once. Because with Text Expander, you just type it in that one time, you assign a snippet to it, which is be a couple of characters of text, and then every time you need that that piece of data again, you just type in that character of text and automatically it just expands for you and fills the text in magically. It's fantastic. Text Expander at its core helps you save one of your most precious resources, time. So I use Text Expander every day and one of my favorite features is the fill in the blank snippets that they have. So you can create snippets with certain areas in them which allow you to choose from drop downs or you can just enter in text or you can have your cursor placed in specific areas so you can paste stuff in i love all of this so if you send the emails frequently that have pretty much the same content but you need to change a few parts of it super super easy with text expander and now something you're able to do with text expander is also share groups of snippets with others so let's say you work in a team maybe you do customer support or something and there are frequent responses that you want to standardize across everybody this is super simple to do with the new text expander and if something changes in a snippet it just needs to be updated once and it's updated for everyone text expander now includes apps for mac iphone ipad and windows which is currently in beta so no matter where you are all of your snippets will be right with you at all times life hacker subscriptions to text 
TextExpander cost $40 per year and include all of those apps and the TextExpander sharing service. And there are discounts available for registered and previous TextExpander users as well. You can also get team subscriptions. These include organization-focused snippet management, detailed access control, consolidated billing, and so much more. You want to boost your productivity and learn more at smilesoftware.com upgrade. Thank you so much to Smile for their continued support of this very program. It is Ask Upgrade time, Jason Snell. Yeah, we you didn't do any last week, so there were some extra lasers because uh, they've been yeah, kind of waiting thanks. in the wings. They're overpowered now, those lasers. Uh, the first question comes from C. Fickett. And C. Fickett asks, is there uh, a way to always get the desktop version of websites by default <laughs> on my iPad Pro? Now, I know that both Safari and Chrome have a uh, option, so you can go to a page and you can click the options, you know, whether it's the little three little lines in Chrome or the weird square arrow button in Safari. Um, and you can bring up the extensions view and say, I want to view the desktop version, and it will then force the desktop version to show. Now, with those applications, there is no way that I am aware of to force the browser into that mode. Yeah, in those applications, you can't. However, you want to check out an app like iCab, which is another mm-hmm. third-party browser, which has a gajillion settings in it. And one of the things that you can do with iCab is force the what do they call it is it user agent is that what it's called yeah yeah user agent string you can force the user agent to present to the website that it's something that it's not so you can say that you're a mac rather than an Mm -hmm. ios device so if this is something that's really important to you for some reason that is a way that you can force the websites to change now icab there are some others i believe that will do this but icab is the one off the top of my head that i know can it is an incredibly feature-rich and complex application, which you will either love or hate. But it does some stuff that no other app will do. I think iCab on the iPad will allow you to have two uh, web pages open side by side. So you could have, in split screen, two web pages on the left and something else on the right. So mm. it is an incredibly powerful web browser. Um, and for iPad power users, I think it is a, a good tool to have. Uh, I've heard Federico and Fraser on Canvas speak yes. very highly um, of this. And I think there is an episode where they go into detail about web browsers. Uh, I will find that and put it in the show notes for you if they do do that. Great. I'm pretty sure they did do that at some point, but I can't remember. It, it sounds familiar. It um, yeah, and, and I would say I would love it if... Uh, if Safari and Chrome would would provide a desktop browsing mode. I, you do give some things up when you do that. Um, some websites will try to put Flash video and stuff in sure. the desktop version that they don't bother with the mobile version. Sometimes I find myself switching to the mobile version on my Mac <laughs> in order <laughs> to see video without having Flash. Um, but, uh, but yeah, one of my frustrations about having especially the 12.9 inch iPad Pro is there are a lot of websites that are aggressively like, you're on a mobile device. I'll give you this weird phone view on your 13 inch screen and it's terrible. And uh, and so I, I find myself hitting that request desktop site uh, button a lot and uh, a lot more than I than I used to, in fact. So uh, iCab is a good, if you want to just sort of have an icon that you can open that will give you the desktop browsing experience and then keep safari and chrome around for uh for other uses uh that would work too 
Blake asks, should I get the 9.7 or 12.9-inch iPad Pro? Mostly going to be used for movies, music, and email. Easy Blake, question. <laughs> no, this is this is incredibly difficult. <laughs> I know. Because you've you've given two separate uses. So if you're going to be mainly watching movies and consuming entertainment, I would say go 12.9 because it's a better screen, a bigger screen, louder speakers. You know, it's a better music and, and uh, media consumption device. But if you're going to be doing like email and web browsing, then maybe you want the portability of a 9.7-inch. I think this is a really difficult question to answer. Um, If you are mainly going to be using this as an entertainment device, I would say go 12.9. If you're mainly going to be using this as a reading device, whether that be uh, reading articles, reading Twitter, uh, reading email, I would suggest 9.7. So I think you've kind of got to boil it down a little bit more. I think the default should be 9.7 and then you should consider do I really want the extra weight and size and cost of the 12.9 because I want to do X Mm -hmm. and if it really is like well I just want to have the biggest screen possible for watching movies and the loudest speakers then okay but um but I think most people will prefer the 9.7 I agree but the 12.9 is a marvelous machine for for what it does I love it yeah all right, and then Fred asks, this one's definitely for you, Jason. Uh, does the Kindle Oasis allow you to tweet quotes like earlier models? So as far as I don't tweet co- quotes from my Kindle generally, occasionally I do, but very rarely. Um, I haven't tested this, but as far as I can tell, the, the software is exactly the same. It's basically always the same. Amazon doesn't uh, tend to remove features. They just keep on kind of adding features as they go to the existing, you know, to the to the new models, and occasionally there'll be an update for old models. So I think it hasn't changed substantially, so I don't see why that feature wouldn't still be there. You can still link your Twitter account and your Facebook account, and I, I believe you can do all of those social sharing features that they used to offer. And finally, Jim asks, Hamilton the Musical is taking America by storm. What does Mike think of it? This is a very good question. Uh, I have never listened to Hamilton. Uh, it is on my list of things to do. Uh, I wonder for my own self, and you know, I'm sure that many people probably feel this, if just listening to a musical is going to give me the effect that I really want. You know, like, am I really going to learn to love it? But the thing is, everybody that I know <laughs> has only pretty much just listened to it, right? And yeah. that's how they fell in love with it. Um this was funny to me because a couple, maybe like a week or so ago, uh, Adina kind of came across Hamilton for the first time. Um, I, I think she saw some some links to something, and we were she was showing me some YouTube videos like of the trailer and the promo of of the Broadway show. Um, and as, literally as soon as it is possible for tickets to be purchased for the West End show, which will happen eventually. Uh, I will be buying them because I know how much of a hot ticket this show is. So I'll be trying my level best to get to get tickets uh i also did we just we're watching house right now we're going through all of house and mm-hmm. we just got to the few uh sequence of episodes with is it lin manuel lin manuel miranda that's it he's in some episodes of house uh hmm. and he's fantastic in them uh i'm very excited to see hamilton at some point um i plan to listen to it at some point um i am excited by the thought of it because so many of my friends love it I am fascinated by a few things. So it sounds like Cameron McIntosh is going to bring it to the West End in London in, in 2017. So next year sometime. I'm fascinated to see how you in particular as an English person and the English people in general who love theater but also 
are the other side of the war being told in the story of Hamilton. Um, how, the perspective, not how they will react to, oh, they're laughing at the king, oh, you know, but uh, how they will react just because it's not a part of their their story that they're told as a as a child like it is in America. And uh, and and so I'm going to be fascinated by the kind of international reactions to yeah. this American American musical. It's an inter- it'll be interesting. I think it might work, and and I re- the reason I think it might work very well is the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon was incredibly popular here, like it has been everywhere else it's gone, and the average British person knows nothing about Mormonism. Right. And it's also a very American-focused musical, but we love it for that because we laugh at that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I mean, Les Miserables is about the French Revolution and yep. it has played successfully everywhere. Forever. Right? And it, I'm sure the, the, the French have a different perspective on it, but that's, you know, but it's fine. So, um, uh, and there's some definitely some Les Mis moments in Hamilton. Anyway, people, so, uh, cross-promotion, people should check out Pod4Ham, which is at theincomparable.com slash Pod4Ham, or you can just go to theincomparable.com and uh, you'll see it there. And it's a weekly podcast about the musical Hamilton, taking it one track at a time from the cast recording. So uh, it's different panels every week, but we've been doing that in the Incomparable world. Getting close to the end of Act 1 now. Um and if we do one track a week, we'll be done before the end of the year with the entire like forty some tracks on the uh, on the the cast recording. So that will also be on our show notes, which you can find at relay.fm slash upgrade slash ninety. Big nine zero today. We've been doing this show for a yeah. long time. We're approaching episode one hundred <laughs> before you know it. Imagine if we were if we were John Syracuse or Marco Arment, we would be ten episodes away from retirement. Uh oh. Don't leave me, Jason. <laughs> we're not. We're not. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much to Text Expander and Pingdom for sponsoring this week's show. If you want to find Jason online, head on over to theincomparable.com and sixcolors.com for Jason's other work. Uh, He does also host Clockwise and Liftoff on Relay FM. Very embedded here, and we love that very much. If you want to find <laughs> Jason on Twitter, he is at Jason L J S N E L L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Um, we don't say stuff like this very often. Recommend the show if you enjoy it to people. Um, we would love that. If you just tell a friend, maybe you could leave a review for us in iTunes or even recommend the show in Overcast. I don't think I've ever said those words on this show before, like all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's only one time. Go and do it. Or go sign up to be a member, relo.fm slash membership just go check all that sort of stuff out we'd love you forever thank you so much for listening as always and we'll be back next week until then say goodbye mr snow aloha hello goodbye